This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. Located in sunny Silver Lake and Malibu, Aloe was created by our friend Bob Forrest, his friends Evan, Bob, and Jared, and they wanted to create a place that would treat addicts with compassion and connection rather than control, so they created Aloe. They have a staff with decades and decades and decades of experience treating dual diagnosis, including SMI. Their detox unit is committed to giving addicts uh, as comfortable a detox as possible, which is really the name of the game if you're kicking anything, but especially heroin, benzos, alcohol, crack, coke, whatever. You want your detox to be dealable. They have more amenities than you could shake a stick at, including sound bath meditation, the uber spiritual sweat lodge, equine therapy, and surfing. If you're fucked and you really want to get sober and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I totally suggest aloe. This episode is also brought to you by you guys in the Dopey Nation through the Dopey Patreon account. And I'm very proud, if you are unaware, we have recorded two mini Patreon episodes which are available for free at www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Go out there, check it out. We have members of the Dopey Nation sharing their story on Patreon, and they are free. If you want to throw a few bucks to the Patreon account while you're there, that would be awesome. Also, new Dopey store. We are in a partnership with a company of just recovering heroin addicts called SRO Prince, and we're doing uh, original Dopey shirts. We're doing the three-quarter length Raglan shirt that people seem to like. It looks like a baseball shirt kind of thing. And we're doing a limited edition Dopey Big Bird shirt, long sleeve, and tank top. We also obviously have the Big Bird t-shirt too. If you put your orders in, the first shipment will go out this week, which means you'll get it this week. You gotta put, they told me you got to put in the order before Sunday. So check that out at www.dopeypodcast.com. You just go to the store. They also have a really nice zip-up hoodie, which I, which I love. Anyway, enough with the fucking ads. Here is the show. So hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and I'm with, through the miracle of technology, I'm with my good friend, Ray. Welcome Hi, to, Dave. Welcome back to the show. Nice to be back. Now, we're doing something very complex, and that has never been attempted on Dopey. Uh, the closest thing is that when Chris was still uh, with us, when he wouldn't want to come to New York, we would do Skype dopey and he would just record the meeting through skype which sucked me and ray are on the phone uh and the phone is going through the very very snazzy bluetooth mini speaker and the and uh the video we're on video so i see ray's beautiful face is going through uh zoom so ray what do you think so far i think it's great it works much better than just doing it on the phone well how do you know though we just started when we do it on the phone usually it's amazing We did it on the phone last time. Oh, you didn't like nope. it? Nope. I couldn't see your face, so I couldn't see you react. 
Ah, and this is better? Yeah, we can see each other's reactions. Now, I um, we are in week, I want to say week five of, uh, week five. of yep. this no down and dirty quarantining time. And I, you know, officially I've lost my mind. How are you doing, Ray? I'm about to lose my mind. I'm about to leave. I'm about to stop being quarantined and just, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, go paint someone's apartment. Dude, you can't even go to Taco Bell. <laughs> you're trying, you're trying to go. To- I went to Taco Bell and they were closed. Ray loves Taco Bell. Uh, Ray, like, lived, there's, they opened up a fancy Taco Bell on 7th Avenue called the Taco Bell Cantina pre-lockdown quarantine. And Ray's like, Dave, do you hear about the Taco Bell Cantina? <laughs> now, now, tell me, Ray, what makes the Cantina better than a traditional Taco Bell? I, I think they have, well, they serve alcohol. That's the difference. That's the big difference. <laughs> but I think they have things on the menu the other Taco Bell doesn't have. And you don't talk to a cashier. You order it through a computer. Ah, were you relapsing in your Taco Bell cantina time? No, I would never do that. Did but, they? Uh, there's they 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 opened one underneath my apartment now. There's one right downstairs. A cantina or just a straight up Taco Bell? Cantina. No way. Do they sell fortified yeah. vodka there? No. Super vodka. I think they. I think what they serve is like a margarita that I'm sure has very little alcohol in it. All right. Well, we're we're five weeks into this quarantine. How is uh your relapse was it's fading in the distance. How long ago was the relapse? Uh that was in February. And now we're in April. So smooth sailing. Yeah. yeah. But I need I'm going to have to have sex soon. This is this is ridiculous. I think that's what's going to end this quarantine. Is people are going to go fuck this shit. I need to meet somebody new and have sex with them. Well, I can't imagine that people aren't doing that. You know, I'm surprised you aren't doing that, to be honest with you. I'm surprised there aren't weird uh, rendezvous with strangers via internet dating situations. Why not? Well, you know, I would think the same thing, but that's, I remember like the first week, it, I was still getting people writing to me. The second week, it just dropped off. Like every day, you know, somebody writes to me every day and says, I want to come over and blow you. But that just stopped. Although Don't- this guy. This guy wrote to me recently and said he wants me to pee on him, but what I didn't. Well, maybe he could go downstairs and you could, yeah, go in front of my building. You could pee on him out the, the window. <laughs> but um, the other thing is that see, in a quarantine, if you really want an effective lockdown, you shut down the dating websites. But the, so you're saying the dating websites are up, and the real grimy sex and love addicts aren't jumping on board. I'm surprised. I'm I'm surprised too, but I think that's going to stop. But when you open them up, the first thing they do is they're, hi, we at this sex app want everybody to not have sex in these times, you know, quarantine yourself. They're like, they're saying jerk off on video. That's what it says. That's what, you uh, which is your, your, uh, Scruff. Scruff recommends watching uh, international wrestling videos with Eastern no, Europeans and no, ringlets. They, rec- they recommend like video chats. All right. So um, are you, you're not doing that, though. I've done that twice. It's not very good. <laughs> so it's, you don't find it as satisfying? I don't find it satisfying at all. Well, I mean, listen, you got to play it safe. I mean, you said it to me yourself, and it was one of the most beautiful and brilliant insights I ever heard. And you said, Dave, six weeks ago, I wanted to kill myself, and now I'm washing my groceries. <laughs> yes. Uh, me, because you were scared that this thing could kill you. 
And but you know, I just read an article today that was that said you don't have to wash your groceries. But then it contradicted itself by the end. It was like we don't think you, you know, we don't think you can get it from. The, I don't know. Well, check it out. I obviously I had the coronavirus. Um, the Department of Health called me and asked me if I have any symptoms, and I still have no taste or no smell, and I get like headaches here and there. But maybe I'm getting headaches because I'm going mental in a house with with a ten year old, a two year old, and a forty something year old woman, and work and dopey and whatever, and I'm losing my mind. But the no taste and no smell, the Board of Health said, can can mean that I'm still contagious, and yet oh. and yet another Board of Health person said that's not true. One guy at my work says it's true. The other one doesn't. Doctor Drew said it's it's may not be. They don't know anything. Nobody fucking knows anything with this thing. Is Doctor Drew actually a doctor? Yes, he's a doctor. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think I think with the with this whole Corona business, people don't know anything, and no. uh, it makes sense to fucking go berserk in this moment because it's a berserk time. You know, it, it's. it's it- and it's weird with money. Like some of my friends are totally broke, have no money. And then like I'm getting like crazy amount of unemployment and I'm completely fine. But like, there's no rhyme or reason to that. Not to mention your flush stimulus check. I got that. I haven't even okay. looked to see if I got it, um, but hopefully I got it. Um, two grand back in taxes, tax refund. All right, there's no need to brag on Dopey Ray. This is a brag. This is a Sorry. Bra- this is a brag-free zone, Dopey. Okay. Unless we're bragging was- about downloads. I'm usually broke. I know. You're, Ray, Ray called me yesterday. He's like, I'm rich. Um, <laughs> but you got nothing to spend it on. No Taco no. Bell, no fortified <laughs> vodka. Um, and you look like you're wearing nice, clean clothes. You look good. You look like a real dignified mensch. You feel good? Hey, in his, in his classic Dave's New York long sleeve or short sleeve? Short sleeve. I have that. I wore that, my long sleeve version of that shirt yesterday. Um, but I don't want to get crazy here. Um, yeah. Let's do, I think we should do the first Dopey uh, email. I, and I also want to say this, that yeah. um, it's so crazy this time. You know, it's such a disconnected time and like the idea of connection, even through social media, like it seemed like a good idea at first, but it's not paying off for me. You know, the social media connection for me is not paying off. Um, I'm going on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and it's like killing me. It feels like it's rotting my brain and my soul. But yeah, I, to the point where I'm also not creative and I'm not posting anything, so I miss those endorphins of the likes. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that you're getting a lot out of the um, the Dopey Zoom. Dopey Zoom is so great. It's, it's every, every night at 6.30 Eastern time. I, I'm on it for a month now. I haven't missed, I may have missed half of a Zoom, but I haven't missed it every night. So would you say the dopey zoom is a billion times better than uh than social media? Yes. Yeah. Social media is, you know, it's it's always always kind of sucks, but this uh, dopey zoom I'm also on another zoom meeting which is like musician friends and it's not as good as dopey zoom. The flowchan? Yeah, the flowchan zoom is like it's like rocky and bumpy and you know, there's there's people there's no format at all, so it's just people talking over each other. And Dopey Zoom is sort of structured, sort of unstructured, but I don't know, just that group that's there. There's like 
I don't know, 20, 30 people and everybody gets it and they figure out what's going on. And it's sort of like a meeting, but it's not. It's like irreverent. Sometimes we just chat. Sometimes there's a topic, Ben or Colleen, whoever's running it or Scott Wick will choose a topic and then people do that. And then it veers off. And I don't know, I've gotten to know this group of people and I see them every night at 630 and I've, I've never known them before. And like Scott Wick, I didn't know that was the dude that did the uh, dopey rap. He did a couple dopey raps. Yeah, yeah. I think it's amazing. I also think like what it says to me, it's, it reminds me of like a 12-step Zoom, but it's like, and you're using it in the way 12-step people use it. So it seems like this great thing under the banner of dopey and under the banner of the amazing alt-recovery movement. It's totally alt recovery, and and it will turn on a dime if every they're talking about like, what's the weirdest place you ever shit your pants, and mm. then like it'll turn on a dime, and then somebody will go like, hey, I need help, I'm thinking of using, and I'm having this crazy problem in my life, and the whole meeting turns around. Amazing. That happened, that happened yesterday. Well, so if people, if the listeners are interested in going to an informal sort of alt recovery movement meeting under the dopey banner. Uh, where do they find it? Uh, go on Dopey Nation and write to me or uh, Scott Wick or just go on Dopey Nation and say, where's the Zoom? And somebody will answer you right away. I'll also I'll post it on, um, on Instagram stories and I'll post it on Twitter. So if you guys are and, looking for this, it'll be on Dopey Instagram stories and it'll be on Twitter. Um, I, I, people, people go on there that are not afflicted. They're they're. And they're, you know, those kind of dopey listeners, but people that are using and go on there, the one thing that's like, don't use on camera or don't like be fucked up, but people are on there that are actively using and and that have never been to a meeting and never wanted to go to a meeting and find themselves there every night. It's fascinating. It's, it's, what it is, is it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful byproduct of, of the show and 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 a real community which I'm incredibly proud of. And I need to go because I'm suffering crazy. Uh, I feel like I'm really missing out on something. And everybody would be so happy to see me, which would be nice. Yeah, you should come on. I want to, I wanna, someone wrote me on Instagram and they said, have you been on, are you on Dopey Zoom as a woman named Melissa? <laughs> no, we, wait, Melissa, yeah, she never speaks. It's me. I, Melissa stands for me. I am the me in Melissa. <laughs> I think Melissa wrote, I can't, I'm very shy. I can't. Some people also are sitting there and we're like, tell us the most fucked up thing you ever did, Molly. And she'll go, my parent, my family is all around me right now. I'm just listening. I can't talk. Wow. So you put people on the spot in, in the second. Sometimes if nobody is speaking, like people go, Hey, you, Hey Duncan, what's going on? And you know, they'll like go. <laughs> but yeah, that Molly was a real one. She's like, I'm sitting here with my family. I cannot tell you what I did. What I did. <laughs> I can't tell you the last place I shit my pants. Um, <laughs> all right, so Dopey Zoom people should check it out. It sounds it sounds pretty amazing. Do you want to read this first email? Uh, which one is that? The uh, first one. I I, I love this girl. email. So please read it. I think it's a, it's great. I think we're actually like this show. Besides me and Ray is going to have a lot of really good material. Okay, this is Shooter's Girl. Yes. Okay, I used to be a Shooter's bar. I used to be a Shooter's girl for a bar. We would wear very skimpy clothes and go around selling tube shots. One night, my coworker, a guy named Irish, due to his thick accent, invited me out to a strip club after our shift. 
I guess it takes one to know one because he handed me his bullet filled with coke. We drank and did bumps at the club and when it closed, went to his apartment for more drinking and lies. We talked all night and into the morning. He told me about his life in Ireland, his parents being killed by the IRA and him coming to America. He also told me about our other co-workers doing coke and where he hid the bags for them in the employee bathroom. The next week I went when I went to work, he wasn't there. His girlfriend told me he'd been caught in a lie and then disappeared. He wasn't Irish. He was from the Midwest. His oh parents my God. were alive. He wasn't his even parents, Irish. No, his parents were alive and well there. He'd been faking his accent the whole time we knew him. That night while working, I decided to see if there were any bags of Coke in the hiding spot he told me about. There were, and I did them, having no clue who they belonged to. Halfway through the shift, my boss called me into, his, into the office. He suspected that some of the girls were drinking and or doing drugs while working. He wanted me to be his eyes and ears out there. He said he trusted me and wanted me to help stop them. I told him I would, and I did, by stealing all their coke. Uh, and yes. When it was gone, I reached out to Irish for more, but not surprisingly, never heard from him again. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Awesome. I love that. I love, I love that line. He, he suspected that some of the girls were drinking and or doing drugs while working. He wanted to me to be his eyes and ears out there. He said he trusted me and wanted me to help stop them. I told him I would, and I did, by stealing all of their coke. I, I just, I love it. So thank you. I, I don't know who it's from. I don't have the, the name of the person, but it's a great story. And, and that was um, great. If you have another one, send it in and remind me of who you were. I don't want to. If I start going through the Gmail now, we'll, we'll totally get lost. But I am curious. That's, don't you want to know who it is? Yeah. Let that, me let me see. Hold tell on. Tell us who you are. That's the thing. I've run into people doing fake British accents, and and some people are fooled. But like, it's kind of easy to tell because they mix up the they mix up the uh, area and they mix up class. Right. Um. Fuck, I can't find this fucking thing. I don't know why I'm getting hung up on it. This is a crazy move of me. Ay, ay, ay. You know, somebody else wrote me. Some woman or man named Shay wrote me, and they said they were going to try to invent their own version of the Othello cookie. And, uh, yeah. and they sent me pictures of their version of the Othello cookie, and they wrote a little note that said, Hi, Dave. I heard in recent episodes that the cookie production is still underway. My, my wife reimagined them as sandwich cookies, primarily to make them more portable. They're black and white in every bite, including the cookie. Picture is attached. We were going to send some to you, but since you lost your taste to the Rona, I decided <laughs> to enjoy them myself, and they were delicious. What do you make of that? I think they stole your idea and then wrote to you to tell you. No, they were just enjoying. Okay. Listen, they stole the idea. And they, what I don't like is that they didn't send me the cookies. But they're right. I can't taste anything. I can taste Send cookies. I can taste chocolate at its core. Like I can taste. Oh. You know, I think there's a, a thing that happens when you know a food so well. You know what I mean? That there's like your. And I think that. The corona blocks some taste receptors on my tongue, but not all of them. So, like, the salty receptor is sensing something, and then I, I get the impulse to my brain that tells me that it should be tasting chocolate or whatever. But salt I can taste for some reason. No, and who, that's good. Who wants to taste salt, though? What if, I do. You love that's salt? The most import, that's the most important. I put salt on ice cream. Well, that's good. Dark chocolate with salt is good. Yeah. Do you like salt, salty or sweet more? Salt. Yeah, Linda does too. I prefer uh, sweet. Um, 
All right. Uh, how's your toilet paper supply? I don't use toilet paper. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I had two rolls when this started. I still have two rolls. Okay, right. This is this is a big moment in dopey the land of dopey history. So tell us, and I, and this was not set up by the way. Tell us why don't you use toilet paper? Well, I'll use toilet paper if I'm in public, if I'm at work, but at home I just take a shower after I shit and then I don't use it. Like what's the point? What's the point? So you take a shit and then yeah. you get in the shower and you wash right. your asshole clean. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever hear that there's a famous Allen Ginsberg quote about uh, cleaning your asshole? Did you ever hear that quote? No, no. What was the quote? Here, I'm going to pause the show. Hold on. Maybe I imagine this quote. <laughs> but it was, something, it was something about how only gay people and beatniks really did a good job of cleaning out their assholes. And that most people <laughs> like had such terrible hygiene and they had disgusting, dirty assholes just from using toilet paper. So Why... Why beatniks? I don't know. I think I obviously fabricated the whole quote. Okay. But that was my memory of it. Um, so you don't use toilet paper. And what about laundry, Ray? We're down to, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, sent- I'm, I'm washing my laundry in the bathtub. I'm not going to the laundry mat. Are you wearing them? No, I just put them in there and, like, stirred them around with my feet with some soap. Do you know who else does that now? Who? My father. My dad is doing his laundry in the fucking bathtub. But he's got a like a a washing machine down the hall, right? No, downstairs. He doesn't want to go downstairs. He doesn't want to go downstairs. Now, on toilet paper, though, you know that lots of people have run out of their toilet paper. Yeah, yeah. I've run out of the good toilet paper. When I lived alone, the one thing I would always... Once a week, I would go to the store and I would buy like a big package of Cottonelle Clean Care with the ripples. It's very yeah. high quality toilet paper. And I would buy bounty paper towels. Like I made sure that my house always had Cottonelle Clean Care yeah. and bounty paper towels. Linda is against Cottonelle Clean Clean Care. She thinks it plugs up the, the septic tank, whatever. So we had to go to Costco toilet paper, which is still it's all right. It's not Cottonelle Clean Care. That shit is it takes care of you. That shit is like <laughs> amazing. But now we're down to the worst toilet paper in the world. You know, the gas station toilet paper. That's right. At my at my supermarket, they have gas station toilet paper. And it's just it's a shame. You know, as my as a Yiddish person would say, it's a shanda. This this toilet paper, it's it's like uh it's just no good. It it's and it hurts. And how can it not break? Anyway. I um, do like good paper towels, bounty paper towels. Hey, Linda's buying some off-brand fucking shit. Plenty. You ever heard of Plenty? No, no good. No good. <laughs> bounty is really, you know, it's, it's worth the money. It does yeah. the fucking job. Um, here we go. So now I'm going to play a quick check-in voicemail from Dopey Nation legend Mick from uh, Ireland. And I want to say Sam has been doing an amazing job on the show punching above his weight class, getting shit done. And it, it's, it's my fault that I didn't read the dumb toilet paper story before I read it. So Dopey Nation, if you have a comment about the toilet paper story, if you understand, please give me information at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And here is Mick, uh, an Englishman writing us from uh, New Zealand. And I know he went to the Dopey Zoom. You know him? Yeah. Right. Yeah, Mick was on Dopey Zoom. And his name is Mike. I know, but he likes to call himself Mick in the emails. I don't know why. Here he is. Here's Mick or, or Mike. I know his name is Mike, but he calls himself Mick for the emails. 
Hello Dave, hello Dopey Nation. I hope everyone's keeping well. Heard some great sort of messages of support and all that through these crazy times, so I thought I'd uh, throw me out in the ring and um, send one in. So Dave, I'm glad to hear you're sort of on the mem, mate, and you didn't suffer too badly through the... Um, through the virus um i hope everyone out there in the dopey nation and all your families and friends are keeping well or as well and as happy as can be expected um here in little old new zealand things aren't going too bad we're all on four weeks home quarantine but i don't think it's as bad here as it certainly is in the states or as it is back home in london i'm talking to some mates and family here and it's getting a bit bit serious there but um my story comes with a bit of a silver lining as a result of this home detention thing, really, because I was on 16 milligrams of uh, Suboxone daily for the last year and a bit. Um, but I've actually I've cut myself right down uh, since we've been on home home detention. So I uh, I was starting to use my uh, my trips to the pharmacy in an unhealthy way, uh, which <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? Going to get Suboxone in an unhealthy way. But I, um, I was starting to use it as an excuse to um, to drink on my trips to the chemist and I'd found a geezer who'd sell me Valiums. So it was just not good. I was going backwards and it was it was ridiculous. So I um, snapped myself out of that and I've stopped doing that. I've stopped taking the Valiums and I've um, I've cut myself down to four milligrams of Suboxone now. Um, and down to two milligrams as of next week, and I feel great for it. I really do. I was um, heading back in the direction of a genuine sobriety and genuine recovery rather than just this stupid limbo I've been in for on and off for the last few months, so I can't, I can't wait to get back to uh, something healthy. I'm really looking forward to that. So, um, yeah, silver linings. I guess. Um, like I say, I hope everyone is keeping well. Love you all. Dave, loads of love, mate. Just keep doing what you're doing, like I always say. And, uh, yeah, stay strong. Dobie Nation and fucking toodles for Chris. And that was the great Mick or Mike. I had no idea. Can you hear me? Hey, yeah. I had no idea that he called himself Mick because Linda had a boyfriend named Mike, and I said I don't like the name Mike. Uh, that, that's funny. Yeah, he th- he thought you would like not not like him. Uh, not like him. No matter what Mick's name is, there's no way I couldn't like him. He just he, <laughs> he comes with the dopey. Um, you know, I, I think that if in America we called pharma- pharmacists chemists, I might not have ever gotten clean. You know, <laughs> and if and if I called some dude who I was going to get pills from the geezer to get the Valium again, my life would have been much richer and better. <laughs> I also feel like, um, you know, it's amazing, uh, and I say this once in a while, but that the Dopey Nation is all around the world and plugged in, and we get to hear the color from all these different places through the show. I mean, yeah. isn't it so beautiful? Yeah, that's that's what's really cool in the Zoom room is that people are on there from all over the world. There's Australia, Ireland, England, and New Zealand. Right. Um, and I think um, so I think uh, we're very fortunate and I'm incredibly grateful to the, the dopey world order. Uh, it's super fun, dopey nation around the world. And um, and I'm glad you guys are so plugged in. I mean, it, it means a lot to me. I think it's fucking cool as hell. Um, but let's move along. Uh, I got very lucky this week. And um, there's this woman, young woman 
who happens to be, uh, you know, a, ce- a celebrity, an offspring of celebrity. Her name is Scout Willis. She's obviously the daughter of uh, Die Hard and Pulp Fiction star Bruce Willis and St. Elmo's Fire and G.I. Jane star Demi Moore and Ghost. I, don't, I realize I never saw a Demi Moore movie. I only saw St. Elmo's Fire. It's the only one I saw. But You never, you never saw, um, what was the other one? Ghost. Ghost is that Demi Moore? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I never saw it. But um, her daughter Scout, uh, we follow her on. Or Chris, I guess, was following her on Instagram, and we. So I still follow her on Instagram, and she put up this thing saying that she wanted to be of service, and I, I knew she was in recovery, so I was like, why don't you come on Dopey? And she did, and um, and she was pretty brilliant. Yeah, it was, it was great. So let's let's play Scout for everybody. All right, I'm very excited. We have a big, a big time artist on the phone. Her name is Scout Willis. Is it Scout Larue Willis? Yeah, Scout Larue Willis. And she is calling directly from Idaho. She is a singer, songwriter, nipple activist, uh, oh God. fashion coordinator, and actor, <laughs> and woman in recovery. And how are you? Good. Although I will clarify, I'm not an actress, actually. It's funny. A lot of people assume that just because of my family, but I really have no interest in acting at this point. <laughs> right. Well, you were an activist for freeing the nipple. So I'm just, you, you're embarrassed that by it? It's like, you know, I mean, talk about things that you did before you got sober that you're like, man, that one really just, I wish I could just wipe that off the board. <laughs> That's so funny. What, can you give us that story? Because, I mean, if you Google you, that's the first thing that pops up. I know. I know. It really was my... There had been other things that, like, the media kind of seized on to, to for this, like, kind of wild child image that they wanted to propagate about me. But that one really showed me the lasting power of the Internet. Because, <laughs> basically, <laughs> I was, like, what, 22 and living in New York, and I just was getting kind of fed up with patriarchy and blah, 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 and, like, bullshit, and, like, mostly it was about, you know, I just heard these stories about women who were getting kicked off Instagram for photos of them, like, breastfeeding, right? you know, and then on the MoMA's uh, Instagram, there was a picture of a Modigliani painting that got flagged, and then there was this guy... Dan Bilzerian at the time who like became my arch nemesis and he had photos of girls like covering up their nipples with guns and he was just being like so derogatory and like that was fine so I just started getting really angry and then a photo that I had taken of two friends of mine topless you couldn't see their faces but it was just like a beautiful photo and I printed it on some jackets and I posted a photo of that because that was the last straw and they deleted my whole Instagram. And I just got so heated about it. And then I was at lunch with uh, my boyfriend at the time. And, you know, I was having like the casual New York afternoon beer or three. And we were walking home and I was like, you know, I'm just so mad. And he's like, we could just take a photo of you topless walking down the streets. Because I, re- I remember finding out that it was legal in New York to be topless. 
so I just kind of went with it. It was literally like I had my top off for like maybe seven seconds while right. we took these photos and I posted kind of like very naive to the fact that suddenly I'm at work the next day I was working with this clothing designer at the time and I'm going and picking fabrics for her and suddenly my phone is just exploding and you know it kind of rolled from there that it's like suddenly everywhere and you know it was kind of in connection with the free the nipple movement I just remember seeing a documentary they did and asking the question after of like hey well what do you guys want to do now and it kind of shut down like oh scout like of course you'd ask that question and I realized that you know I'd written this whole manifesto that obviously no one gave a shit about about why I did it and it just kind of had no no energy behind it after that besides just like hot girls walking around with their tops off and so for me I just really like lost steam with it but of course now I'm like poster child for that even though it's definitely not out there it's rocking it's a it's a perfect story though because you're in recovery and you weren't in recovery when you did it and not that it should be some major regret but seven seconds on the street became infinity in virtual life, which is an totally. interesting, it's an interesting lesson. Um, when did you start like uh, getting high or whatever, or drinking? Like, were you young? Um, okay, so I was sort of the first in my family, which is funny. I had my my quote unquote bad stage from like thirteen, now maybe like twelve to fourteen. Okay, and then I was the like perfect child after that. And then was only kind of drinking like on vacation with my family as if that excused it. And then I remember when I got to college, suddenly I was like, oh, okay. Now I'm at school, I'm at a really good school. I worked my ass off to get into this school. And now I can finally be an irresponsible teenager. Right. You, you were think, an Ivy League, you went to Brown, right? Ivy League. Yeah, I went super, to Brown. Super smarty pants school. <laughs> and, and you felt the, you had freedom finally and you could be whoever you wanted to be. Yeah, you know, and like I got really, I just loved it. I loved partying. I loved the freedom. And there was a point where I was like, you know what? Like drinking isn't much my bag anymore because I still was just like the, just the waking up and always assuming my anxious personality that I had done the worst possible thing, even when it wasn't, you know, that at all. I got really into weed and that really always actually was my drug of choice. Right. Yeah, me too. Biggest I was, and, I was know, my favorite. I was a professional pothead. Me too. I was. I, I, and I, I, that's the only thing I don't like about sobriety is that I can't be a pothead anymore. Um, but I, I was a professional stoner. Um, and do you still smoke weed or you don't smoke weed? No, no, I'm totally sober. So tell us about the arc. Like what happened? You were you were a stoner you in know, college, and things kind of like came to a head with stuff with my family, and I think. I was right as I was really ramping up and really interested in weed and, you know, and also we were just like, I was also parting. I think part of me loved pushing my body to extremes. Like there are times where I think about, you know, where it's like Molly and I loved mushroom and I loved, I loved it all. Like, I, you know, certain things weren't really my cup of tea, but like I, I would try anything once. <laughs> that was sort of my, my theme of just like, fuck it, you know, which I think is the creo for a lot of people who are now in recovery. But I, you know, 
weed was the one that was lasting. And for a while, listen, like I can look back and recognize that because of the emotional pain I was in to even like get by and live my life, it was the filter through which I had to live because the intensity of the emotions that I buried through a certain trauma when I was in high school with my family, because I was now accepting it and bringing it out into the open and starting to work on myself, I kind of had to put that filter on just so I could exist in the world. Right, just to make you feel comfortable. Yeah, just to even be able to bear it because I'm a very emotional person. I feel things very deeply. And I had shoved that down for a long time. And so to finally be able to even start moving through some of the stuff that was coming up for me, it was just where I had to be. And that was kind of like junior year of college. So junior, senior year was a really intense time. And then I graduated and I was living in New York. And I just, you know, I loved it. It was, you know, I look back now and I'm not, uh, no part of me is like, man, I really missed out on partying because I did it, you know, I did it well. I did it hard. I, <laughs> I left it all out on the dance floor and you know, I, I lived in New York for a few years and then I moved back to LA and I'd started doing what I called sober January, which was kind of my way of being like, see, I'm not an addict. I'm fine. Right, right, <laughs> Just because right. I could do it for a month. And then of course, February 1st was like B-Day. Um, and what, would, and what, would, what would February 1st look like after a very pious <laughs> sober January? It would start with a joint in the morning. There'd probably be like a martini lunch somewhere. We'd like rage. I think one year, that was one year. Another year, I think I went to a dinner party that night with my parents and or with my mom and some friends. And I was like, look at me. Like, I'm just having a glass of wine. Like, look how chill I am. Cut to three hours later at like a little, you know, bar somewhere. My friend turns to me and says, hey, I have a vape pen filled with DMT. No way. DMT vape pen. This is a new thing. I never, and I think I'd done DMT one time before that. But of course, like me, I was just like, fuck yeah, hand hand it over. Suddenly, like the walls of this place are fractals. And I was like, what have I done? Because as I'm hitting it, she goes almost in slow-mo. It's really strong. (laughs) And then like, boom. Dude, DMT vape pen. So how long did you hit the DMT? I, I smoked DMT one time. I like took three hits and, and, and kind of like I was looking at a, a painting on the wall that started dancing. A DMT oh, yeah. vape pen, how long were you hitting it for? You know, I just like maybe I hit a little, just like how I would like smoke a jewel now yeah, or something, I yeah, guess, where yeah. I'm just like, yeah, this is fine. And then I think it was like the next 15, 20 minutes. The first five minutes, I was like, oh no. But I kind of, you know, you kind of learn how to do that thing. You're like, this is crazy. I'm okay. Yes. I know how to handle my shit. Yes. I'm not going to like freak out. I started dancing and I was fine. Yeah, that's, that is hysterical. <laughs> Let me ask you a stupid question, right? Yeah. Obviously, we're both in recovery. Uh, yeah. How would one procure a DMT vape pen? I'm just curious. Dude, like, how do you get know. it? That's got to be the dark web business, right? This is a gal who I'm friends with who shall remain nameless, yes. who definitely is like a public figure who knows how to procure such things. I would never know how. I'd, I, I, I tried to stay away from the procuring side of things as much as I possibly could. Is she one of the heiresses to the Grateful Dead's fortune? Is it like Bob Weir's daughter or something? <laughs> no, I wish that would have been cool. Yeah, that would have been hysterical. I love that story. DMT vape pen. So then what happened? Sober, sober February. I don't want to ruin this thing. 
I mean, so we're no, January I mean, into February. That, that for me kind of just, you know, the, the path from the path from like, oh, look at me, I'm so refined, having a glass of wine to like, you know, the movie of like cut to, you know, the movie, it's like right here, scratch. This is me. You're probably wondering how I got here. Like, blah, 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 blah. Um, right. But I think, you know, and then I always, the thing that I told myself was that I could handle my shit always, you know, because I never took it too far. I loved that I was, you know, I had this illusion of control that I was someone who could always push it to the limit, never go over the edge. Right. And I did. Um, But I just was starting to realize that it didn't, was starting to not work as well. You know, the like weed from sun up to sundown. It was just getting to a place where like, I started feeling anxious. I started feeling like, you know, it just didn't work as well. The efficacy of it was just starting to fade. And so I actually got involved with this spiritual community that I sort of fell into that my teacher there is this Peruvian guy who then was adopted into a Lakota Native American tribe. And so I kind of just by circumstance fell in there. And that was the first place that I would go and be sober for like a week at a time or whatever, you know, it was the first place that I really felt the power and the magic inherent in these other things in the world. And, and, and just letting that go. And I would feel that magic until I came home and I smoked weed for the first time okay. and then it would fade. And that was really interesting for me that that any like kind of energy that I got from being out there in New Mexico would kind of feel like it would go away. Right. And so that was in, I think like 2015, I went there for the first time, not just to hang, but I did ceremony. I did vision quest, which was me alone in the woods with like this little altar I built two uh, wool blankets with no food and water for four days and four nights. Uh, and did you take peyote or, or uh, ayahuasca no, or anything? Also, the sober vision no, quest. So it was, yeah, which for me always felt like a way more intense way to begin that journey because it was just me with myself alone. And part of doing that part of being a person who does that is sobriety. And I was almost like this lifeboat of like, oh, if I, if I make this commitment to do four years of vision quest, then I'm going to have to figure this out, whatever this is. And my younger sister had already gotten sober. Um, and I kind of watched her through that whole process. And, you know, my mom was sober at that point and I, was you know trying that was at the point where it would be like a week on a week off I was really trying I was trying to like manage it in my own way right but it just I always kind of went back to it and so the I went to this place in New Mexico I did it I was up on the hill as you call it and it was the most brutal hardcore thing that I've ever done in my life why not being thirsty not 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 having food it was what was present inside myself that I, I thought I'd gotten to a place where I kind of liked myself and the things that were coming up to my head just like why did you think you could even fucking do this you're so weak blah 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 like crazy right you know like crazy crazy things that I'm sure we all kind of have inside of ourselves but sitting there with no distraction it just surged up like nothing I've ever experienced and I talked to my teacher before that I could tell him I still was trying to figure out a good balance with with drugs and with this and he was like you know I think you'll be fine I think when you come down you won't even want it anymore 
And that's what ended up happening. I left. I left you know, doing vision quest and I went back to LA and I just thought to myself, like, let's just see how long I can keep this going. But I knew that something fundamental had shifted in me where it wouldn't even work anymore. Right. And that was what was taken away from me. Like I can I'm really nostalgic about when we'd worked, when it all worked, and there's moments there's a nostalgia, but even the moments where I've gotten to like, I've been around friends who are smoking, gotten to contact high. I'm like, Oh Jesus. Like I'm just so much more used to like a high level of thinking now that I don't even think it would be fun. Right. I think I would feel locked in a chamber of my own brain. Well, I, I mean, weed is something that I, I have like, I don't have reservations for, uh, for most anything, but I have reservations for bud, like being an old man. I see a porch being an old man and a guitar, you know what I mean? And being able to be a chill old guy that smokes weed and plays guitar. Um, I don't know if that would be true. You know, I don't know if that would be accurate because I know what you mean. Like my brain, I think we have pretty similar nervous brains and my brain, the weed hit my brain in the same way where it made me feel comfortable there's so many people that couldn't smoke weed that i know and i never had that yeah. problem although i imagine yeah, if i, I never did had now that issue up but, until that point <laughs> right but maybe now it would be different you know um did you um did you ever did you go to 12 step or no so i've been in and around it with my sister and i'd actually been in al-anon for like since right before Tallulah got sober and Tallulah sober like two years before me and um so that was really helpful. But what I realized is, you know, I think everyone kind of has like a pyramid of 12 step needs and being sober made me come to the understanding that it all, I mean, I realized it all was coming from the same place of this like desire to not feel this desire to escape my feelings. Yeah. I had all these beautiful ways of spiritually bypassing my feelings and actually relationships with my family and romantic relationships were my number one way. Once I got the drugs and the alcohol out of the way, actually, because that felt kind of easy at that point for me. I just was like, oh, it, it doesn't work anymore for me. And I'm kind of like an all or nothing sort yeah. of cat. So it's like once I was out, I was out. I don't let you know. And But for me, what made me really understand the mind of an addict was a relationship that I had that brought me to slaw. Yeah, sex and which, love anonymous. Anonymous. Yes, which I'd always someone had told me about it, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. The name made it sound like like coleslaw. Just different than I expected. The name sounds like coleslaw. I mean, that's the biggest problem with with <laughs> with. I mean, except it's also very. Tell us, tell us about your experience, please. Well, so I was expecting, you know, like people who just found random people, like someone I'd seen in movies, you know, like or Californication or whatever, that it was people who just like found anyone they could in like a back alley. Right. And for me, it was a you know really centered around this one relationship that even before I went to SLA, I did when I was, he and I, you know, tried to break up about a thousand times and always came back. And I remember one day saying it was like withdrawing from heroin. Like I, I just could not, I just could not stay away from this person, even though, and it was for both of us, you know, and he also was an addict who's in recovery now, um, which had helped get my ass back into Al-Anon, thank God. But I, I remember I shared an Al-Anon meeting and a friend came up to me and said, hey, I might have another program for you. And it was only months later that I had this final like blow with it, which wasn't even that bad, you know, luckily. 
but I just was done. I was done. It was a point where I got, it wasn't like I could take the pain. I could take the agony. I could take the tears, but what I couldn't take was the moment that it started to become boring where I was like, I just am so bored of this story. I'm bored of this cycle that just is the same shit every time. So I walked into that room and just to hear so many, I went to a lot of women's meetings for that too. Cause I think the way men and women are in that program can be sort of different. Um, in this women's meeting, hearing other people share, I was like, oh, I'm not alone in this. And this is, this is so universal. Actually, I think 99.9% of people I know could benefit from being in that program because nothing in our culture inherently teaches us how to be in healthy relationship, A, with ourselves, and then B, with another person. Like, it's all fantasy-based. It's all rom-coms, and we're taught to expect something that is just not realistic. I had an experience with SLAA. I, I had lost my my partner, like uh, because I was on heroin, and I'd lost my mm-hmm. partner, and uh, and she had my daughter, and I was separated from them, and I was obsessed with it. Like I could mm-hmm. not make it five minutes without being like, "How can I get her back? How can I get her back? How can I get her back?" And I wound up going to a couple of SLAA meetings in Manhattan, and just being like, you know, every the, the crazy thing about SLAA. Is I mean, it's hard for me to follow with the bottom lines and all the different sort yeah, of like, I'm not going to do porn for this week. It, like, I haven't had sex with the prostitute for two. Like, the way they would share, I'd be like, I haven't had sex with the prostitute for two weeks, but I, but I haven't watch porn for six months and the bottom lines became confusing but like the the commonality among everybody in there was um was crazy because it's so many different stories but it's the same story you know of projecting yeah, exactly or, you know like you said fantasizing about what you think your life should be and what somebody else is supposed to be in your life yeah, and it was the first time that I heard the term fantasy addict, which I was like, wow, and that was not only positive fantasy, but negative fantasy, which is like obsessing and swirling around the worst it could possibly be. Right. And then thus, like, I'm creating that life for myself because I'm trying to propagate this subconscious unworthiness narrative that I didn't even realize. Like, here I am thinking that all I want is someone to love me and be obsessed with me when actually I realized, like, I, I was unavailable. Right, which was really fascinating for me, and, and the partner I've been with now, like the first healthy relationship of my life, truly is only due to that program. And actually, walking into a relationship with someone who was kind, emotionally available, liked me back, was actually kind of was really painful. <laughs> but you got, but you settled. You, you learned to enjoy the fruits of healthy romance, healthy relationship. Oh yeah. Well, the thing is, intimacy, like true intimacy and vulnerability is not sexy you know it's not that whirlwind like i'm obsessed with you right you know it's it's sharing the parts of yourself that you still don't like and then when someone else accepts the parts of yourself that you still have a hard time loving you think it would feel like a soothing bomb but in fact it feels so uncomfortable because i'm used to being rejected for those things thus confirming that it's okay for me to not like them about myself. It's complicated because it's like, wait a second, you like the worst shit in me, you know, and, yeah. and you're kind of like, what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? It's easy to turn on somebody in that situation. Yeah. But the amazing thing is to get past it. And um, the reason I had, I had reached out to you in the first place was because, I mean, uh, on Instagram, you were like, I want to be of service. You know, we're in yeah. this, we're in this moment 
you know, the world has shut down. You're sequestered in fucking Idaho. Um, <laughs> it, the world has shut down. And, um, and, and what made you reach out publicly to, you know, want to throw your hat in the ring to help? Listen, you know, I think I've grappled with issues around privilege and the privilege that I was born into my whole life. And I'd done a good amount of work around that just to like let go of my own self-judgment. And this situation really threw that back up into the ring for me because right now the difference with privilege could be the difference between life and death for someone. Right. And I was just sitting up here and, you know, I think for some people this is happening in a really like logistical, painful, life-altering way. And for some people, there's the privilege of it being more of like an emotional situation. And I, at first, was just kind of dealing with whatever... Call for him. Once. You know, because I, I have a weird time with Instagram. I, I want to be a service. I want to share. But I also sometimes don't totally want to give of myself in that way because I still am a person who's sensitive and is afraid of judgment. You know, it just comes down to that. But I kind of realized that this was a situation to just let that go. And it was, it's not about shrinking. It's just about having an intention that I'm doing something not for self glorification. I just want to connect, which is why like I posted, I posted something that was just like had posted and then I just was like, wait, this feels really weird. And I was talking to my boyfriend about it. He's like, I think you could write something that is kind of more heartfelt and more authentic to you. And so I just realized the most vulnerable thing I could do is just express that I'm, I don't know what to do. And I just need other people's opinions and help. And I want to hear what people are going through. And so I've been posting those resources, but actually the coolest part of all of that is I decided I've been going back and there's like hundreds of messages from people, but I've been slowly but surely working through responding to every single person individually. So it's how I saw your message. And it's just so I can like, so even if there's nothing I can do for someone, what I can say is I really fucking hear you. I witness you. I see your struggle and I see your challenge. And like, I'm sending you love. Well, and more importantly, you got to come on Dopey. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> true, um, true, true. But what, uh, the other thing with this whole thing, with the whole COVID pandemic, is there has been a crazy backlash against celebrity and privilege. And people are starting to feel these resentments. Do you, does that, do you turn on yourself with that? Like, because like, I didn't mention in this interview, but you have like two ridiculously famous parents. Um, and, uh, do you, does that come back home? Like this, this anti-celebrity backlash through this thing or not, not so much? Well, you know, I'm, I feel really grateful for the work that I've had the privilege to do on myself to the tune of uh, letting go of my self-judgment. And if something that someone says bothers me or hits home, it's because it's a judgment that I'm also holding against myself. You know, if someone says something that is just so off base, I'm like, okay, that's your perception. And that's okay, because that's what people say to me about me, positive or negative, is coming from where they are holding it inside themselves. Right. Right. And that sometimes is still challenging, especially with people I'm close to, to, to understand that people's feelings aren't my responsibility. And I'm really trying to like learn that lesson right now because I am still sensitive and there are moments where 
I grapple with it and it's tough, but I also am just like, I'm so profoundly grateful for all the discomfort and these, these conversations that need to be had about privilege and about the people who are suffering in our country and around the world. Because the truth is on any given day, there are people suffering. There are people struggling. There are people falsely incarcerated. There are people in domestic abuse situations. There are people who don't have money to live. And if this situation can put a spotlight on that because of the like, you know, kind of micro level at which we're all looking at these issues right now, then I think it's beautiful. I really welcome it. I feel like there's so much compassion that can be sown right now for people who are in need and need to be heard. Right. The other thing that that struck me, what you were saying about was we're all isolated, but because of the isolation, you heard from thousands of people that you responded to. So you're all of a sudden connected because of the isolation, which is totally, it's all about like that decaying body feeds the earth kind of thing. It's uh, yeah. it's, it's amazing. Do you ever miss, I mean, you're, you're a pretty amazing musician. Uh, I think, I think you have an amazing singing voice and I wouldn't just say that just so you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who just says stuff like that. Um, seriously, uh, do you ever like, I know that, you know, I'm a much less great musician and I had the thing in my head of being a stoner, of being a drug user and an artist. Was that ever something in your head? Sorry, that, say that again. You broke up for it's, a second. It's okay. You're in Idaho. Reception has to be <laughs> challenging there. Um, like being a, a drug user and an artist, like to be creative and be wild. Do you ever feel like you miss that or was that a difficult thing to let go of? You know, I used to like the way I learned how to play guitar because I was in a band in college with my dear friend Gus and we kind of like we recorded an EP and we would like run away for a weekend and play like South by Southwest and stuff. And I learned to play guitar after he, you know, got a real job. I I would just wake up in the morning, I would get stoned, I would grab the guitar from where I had it on the wall and I would just sit down and practice. And so it kind of felt like linked to my music. But at the end of the day, I actually feel like my creative flow is sort of far more open now. Right. Because I feel like the messages, because I'm the kind of musician, like, you know, I don't sit around every day and be like, I got to write a song. I got to write a song. Like, it's not mine, you know, it kind of just comes through me and then the song will be done in like an hour or a day or a week, you know, yeah. and it's kind of there. Wow. So I think it kind of opens me up a little bit more to just hearing what's present. And like, actually I left an Al-Anon meeting one day soon after I'd gotten sober and I wrote this song called goodbye about getting sober, <laughs> um, in like an hour. And it's kind of like a, I think it's kind of like a fun, goofy song. And I love it because there's not a lot of like fun anthems about getting sober. No, I got to hear it. You got to send it over. Uh, we'll play it on dope. I definitely will. I, um, and actually, I was in the middle of recording a full album when the quarantine struck. So you don't have, so you, don't have, you, don't have you don't have studios in, Ohio, in Idaho? <laughs> My producer did offer to come up here at one point, but we've been like, tr- we've gotten enough work done, luckily, that we've been like trading mixes back and forth and we have some like overdubs still to do, but it's definitely like in progress. I have this fantasy of doing like some sort of like dopey um, kind of like 
variety show online. In my fantasy, you will come on the dopey <laughs> online variety show and play your song. Would you do it? I would love to do that. Yeah, sure. All right. I mean, it's interesting. Like, you know, I got so many messages when I was responding to people about people who are struggling to stay sober right now or who are and just were like, I'm so fucking proud of myself because I have to work every day at this while I'm in quarantine to stay sober. And so I actually did the live show. Um, that was my sister rumor sang with me and, and I played that song because my younger sister Tolula loves it. It's like her favorite one. Um, and so I played it and dedicated it to all the people who are trying to stay sober right now. <laughs> nice. And what, what advice would you give to somebody who's all quarantined and, uh, and struggling? Man, I think it's like about community and not trying to tough it out yourself through your own self will. Right I think, I think it's about, being vulnerable and being like, I need help right now. I need support. I need you know, like on, there's online meetings, there's stuff, there's like the the phone meetings. I think just like really availing yourself of every resource possible that's available to you because this time brings up not only the stress and fear of what's happening in the world, but I think being inside, it's like everyone's on their own vision quest and everyone is having to sit still with themselves right now. And that can be so fucking painful. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just being gentle with yourself as all this old material surfaces and yeah, I guess. And like, and like just, there's so many online resources right now. And that's why I've been trying to post as many as I can, just so people kind of like have a place that they know they can come to and like kind of seek out anything that might be of interest to them. That's awesome. I think that's great. Um, I'm a huge fan of your parents. I'm a huge fan of your dad. I, I, I just, yeah. I love your dad and I've loved him since I was a kid. I love Moonlighting. Like the theme song of Moonlighting still plays in my head. It shows that I'm oh, old. Oh, yeah. Like, have you ever covered the Moonlighting theme song? No, I haven't. That's a good idea. Dude, you should do it. I want to see the video on Instagram. <laughs> and But your dad is a killer harmonica player. You ever jam with him? He is. No, we, we played a show once actually many years ago. Um at the little bar up here in Idaho. It's like a little venue. And he was playing with Steve Miller and Rumor and I went up on stage and we sang some Christmas songs with both of them and it was really fun. But we haven't jammed much. I was thinking about seeing if there, I don't know if any of my songs really need harmonica right now, but I definitely would love to like get him on a track at some point. It'd be fun. Every song could use harmonica. Your dad's a fucking pretty decent harmonica player as they go. I mean, he's he good. He is. I know. Uh, I'm, I'm like a harmonica player, and, uh, and your dad was always... You yeah, I can play a little bit. Your dad was always uh, a great inspiration to me. I actually... I was feeling shitty the other night, right? Because I'm in a house. Uh-huh. I have two, two daughters... And I have a partner, and we, you know, I wound, I wound, I wound up getting back together with her, which was great. I was going to ask, but I didn't, I didn't know how the story ended, so I wanted to. No, I worked it out. I worked it out, and we had another baby. Uh, but we've been struggling in the in the four person quarantine existence. Totally. Um, but I was feeling down. And I got myself a bowl of ice cream and I sat down and I turned on the TV and Die Hard was starting. And I was like, fuck it. Oh. And I and your dad gave me a great night in the lockdown, so please thank him. Oh, I will. And um, and thank you so much for coming on and being so open and cool. It's, it's awesome. Oh, it was my absolute pleasure. I love talking about this stuff. It's really fun for me. And I love just like being able to share any little nuggets that I've received over the years. <laughs> yes, but before you go, 
Now, the currency of Dopey is to tell a ridiculous Dopey story. And I thought the DMT pen was pretty fucking awesome. But it was. I always make a big mistake of pressing the guest at the end for another Dopey story. Can you come up with another Dopey story at the spur of the moment? Um, I mean, listen, there's like the time I got arrested and spent the night in jail. Yeah, let's hear it. That sounds great. What happened? Really? I mean, this one's not even, this one's more, you know, it's another one where it's like, it was a fluke. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I, I've just moved to New York at this point. I am 20 years old. It was summer between my junior and senior year. I thought I was just like the king of the world. So I was in my first little apartment in East Village, and I'm just, like, feeling good. I go out to a party, and I end up doing a little bit of MDMA with a friend of mine. And then the next day, I'm just going to do a, what I think is going to be, like, a quiet, chill lunch with some friends in Brooklyn, which then turns into, you know, like... A michelada, which then is like a tequila shots, which then is like everyone migrating to my friend's apartment, and then it's uh, you know drinking more beer, and then we have this bright idea to go busk in the subway, so yes. we're like practicing songs, and I'm fucking stoked. So we're gonna go to Union Station and you know go in Union Square and go busk. So I went to school in Providence, Rhode Island, as we've already said. The cops in Providence, if you have an open container on the street, I remember I had an experience with a Providence cop. He goes, "Hey, what is that?" And I was like, "It's just a little bit." Of, I was like, "It's a little beer." And he goes, "I don't care if it's a little beer or a lot of beer. You want to find? You want to pour that out right now?" And so I poured it out, and he basically was just making fun of me for the shitty quality of beer that I was drinking. So that was my experience with having an open container. So here's my brazen, stupid ass walking through with a beer casually in my hand in fucking public in a subway. And this guy all of a sudden stops me, and he's an undercover cop. And so I also terrified, not thinking, give him my fake ID, thinking it's going to be casual. And this is someone's real ID that they had given me. So then suddenly I'm being taken to the like the little police station in there and I'm terrified that going through my purse which there may or may not have been an empty bag that had had the remnants of MDMA on it and I'm fucking terrified I'm crying my friends are like what the fuck is happening and I'm in there the guy kind of recognizes who I am and I think he's like okay this girl is like just you know made a mistake whatever say catch me on the fake id blah 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 and they kept telling me over and over again if only i had just given them my real id it would have been a minor in possession which is like nothing compared to what happened to me so then i'm in that little cell in there handcuffed for like four hours what or maybe you could have been like honestly but it felt like i'm still thinking i'm getting out so my they kind of finally lead me out there's two other guys one jumped the railing and one used a kid's pass. So we all ended up spending the night in jail. The guy at that station was a hard ass. So they take me handcuffed. I'm like telling my friends as I walk out, very like movie sound, like, okay, tell Gus I can't go to dinner with him. Tell him what's happening. Tell him this, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm, I'm still also have not contacted anyone in my family because I'm thinking I can deal with this on my own. So they take me to the tombs. Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, I'm in boots, miniskirt, sweatshirt, and then I'm in a lineup with, like, all of these dudes, 
And this one guy is like staring out at me, like leaning out, trying to intimidate me. I don't know what came over me, but I lean out of line and I'm like, how about you stop fucking staring at me? Like, I don't, I think I was just going into some alter ego. Perfect. <laughs> and then I think you know, my rushing officer something was like, Scout, you're cool with me. Like, if I ever catch you again, like, you're good to go. I think he, like, you know, recognized. He was great about being tough because I'd been crying for a long time. And so I'm still thinking that I'm going to get out that night. He's giving me my keys and my wallet. So they take me back there. I think I'm smirking in my mugshot. I literally am, like, channeling my dad from moonlighting. And I give them, like, a, like, (laughs) whatever. So then they take me down there. My resting officer told me not to tell anyone who I was. But the moment this woman puts me in the cell, she's like, oh, I know exactly who you are. You look just like your mama. And I was like, shit, shit, shit. Oh, my God. So I'm like there and I was like um excuse me uh when do you think I'm gonna be able to go before a judge they're like oh honey no judges here you're gonna have to wait until tomorrow morning at 11 love you mama I'll see you later and um I realized I well I realized that I would have I was gonna spend the night and that's when the full reality of the situation hit me. It was 7 p.m. at that point, and I realized I was spending the night in jail. And I just started freaking out. I tried to call Rumor. She didn't pick up. I called someone else. <laughs> and then, like, you know, the whole thing of trying to help me get out of jail started. And I spent the night. I just did. I think I'd like, I found an emergency Xanax in my wallet, yes. which I ended up taking. And I just was kind of like waking up throughout the night, like on the little bench, the full chain bench. And I had to be like, wow, I guess this is, I had to like laugh about it. And I'd wake up and cry before screaming, like poop on the walls, the full deal. And I, even in the moment had to detach and be like, at some point, this is going to be a funny story. At some point, this is going to be a funny story. And it is. And I got out at, um, <laughs> I think like 9 a.m., Someone had corralled some lawyer to like help me and I got out and by the time I got back to my apartment, I walked into my apartment and there was a pregnant woman at the foot of the stairs who shoved a phone in my face and said, is this you? And I was like, yeah. And then I realized she was a reporter. So I ran up the stairs oh my God. and into my apartment and my friend Max came over and like walked around to see. I missed a flight to go home for Tallulah's graduation. So I just was like chilling till I could get another flight. And throughout the day, more and more like paparazzi and reporters at my house because one of the women in the jail had sold the story. Wow. That I was in there. Um, do you think it was so the woman? Do you think it was the woman who said you looked like your mama? Yeah, I'm sure it was. So it was kind of, oh, and I ended up doing community service. And we like got it, you know, knocked off there. But the only, I really wished I could have gotten my mugshot. But they were like, uh, no, for expunging your record, you don't get that. <laughs> right, it's a good trade. And, and there's never been like a better use for an emergency Xanax than being in the tombs. Like that is for real. I once I once got busted uh, down there in, in Union Square at the Barnes and Nobles. I was buying heroin, and they put me in the tombs, and I had a shitload of Xanax. And for some reason, they threw it. They put me in a cell on like Fourth Street to hold the holding cell on Fourth Street, and they put mm-hmm. the Xanax in a garbage can right next to the jail cell, so I could actually oh. stick my hand through the bars like a fucking old western and take the fucking <laughs> pill bottle out. And I managed, I managed to take like four, four, two milligram Xanax because I was dope sick also that night. But oh I, my god! I, I managed to sleep uh, in the tombs because of my own emergency Xanax. So I think we have something in common. It's beautiful. 
We do. Let me ask you one more crazy question. Yeah, go for it. In the middle of this interview conversation, you casually said hello to both your mother and your father. <laughs> Are you sequestered with Bruce Willis and Demi Moore in Idaho? Well, it's just so funny, you know, because it's like, to me, they're just my like super fucking weird parents, yes. but to everyone else, there's like this yes. different level and they've always just been my weird parents. And it's actually been so cool because, you know, so my stepmom was going to come up here too with my little sisters, but actually, and you might find this funny, but the problem now, my, my younger sister, who is now actually seven years old uh-huh. at a park had never gotten the talk about um, not fucking with hypodermic needles that she found. So she uh, actually tried to poke her shoe with it Ugh. and uh, poked her foot. Oh, no. So my stepmom had to be in L.A. waiting to, like, get the results from, like, taking her to the doctor. So my dad came up here early and then travel got crazy. So my stepmom stayed in L.A. with my little sisters. So it's been really funny having both my parents um at the house where they like raised us, you know, uh, which has been really cute. And they both were just such like, you know, nerdy, adorable nineties parents in a small town where they chose to have their kids and not be in LA. So it's been, been pretty cute. That's so sweet. So, I mean, that must be very special. Like it must be a special moment. Like, cause how else could that have happened if not for this pandemic? So exactly. It's like kind of some divine timing too of just getting this much time to hang out with them. I think everyone's quarantine is you know, sort of a, for a lot of people. It's like a roll of the dice of like who you were with when it happened, where you were when it happened. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful to be with my family, even though there's moments where I'm like, wow, my house in LA is looking mighty fine right now. (laughs) No, I can imagine. I mean, like we're, you know, you guys are an estranged family and I'm sure they're, I mean, I'm, I'm in a family that's together and we're like going ballistic, you know, are you having any terrible moments or is it mostly smooth sailing? There's some like, you know, I think everyone kind of has their own personal arcs of feeling intensity <laughs> yes. and, and whatever. But luckily, you know, because, like, you know, everyone in my immediate family is sober. Right on. My younger sister is, my mom is, rumor is, and now my dad is. So it's pretty amazing. I don't know, like at a certain point, I just started realizing how grateful I was for that and for any trauma that happened around addictions, right? My family, except like, like, you know, how else were you like that amount of family therapy, work on yourself? Like, you know, we all know how to communicate so well now right. because of that. Um, and so it really, I feel like, I'm in a good place to kind of deal with any emotional intensity that comes up with people. And so I actually feel really lucky for the time and effort that I've been afforded to put into just like dealing with my own emotions and helping facilitate the people in my family through whatever they're dealing with. Well, it sounds incredibly beautiful and cathartic. And you've been like such a joy to have on the phone. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, my pleasure. This is really fun. Right on. Um, I Only will. my second podcast experience. Was it better than the first one? 
I mean, but the conversation is like a little more fun. I'm not gonna, you know, I, I let's you throw know, them under the, the bus. Topic's Fuck great. them. <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? Stay tuned because if I if I pull off my online DopeyCon online, I'm gonna hit you up to play your song, and you have to send me uh, even if it's just an acoustic version of you in Idaho yeah, playing it. Thousand percent. Send me the song. Uh, you have my number on your phone. Thank you again. You've been a joy. Of course, my pleasure. Scout Willis coming coming through in the clutch. Thank you. Of course. Right on. Hold on. Honestly, I thought uh, she was amazing. Thank you, Scout Willis, for coming on the show. Um, you know, when Sam heard it, he said that she was a top five dopey guest. Yeah, she she was great. You enjoyed it too. And then she was kind of like, "I don't have crazy dopey stories." And then she's like, "And then I went to jail." <laughs> well, the the vape pen full of DMT. Yeah, it goes into the records of of dopey yeah. greatness. Because like I never even imagined a DMT vape pen. You know. Uh, Dopey yeah. Nation, if if you've ever had a DMT vape pen, uh, write an email, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. If you ever had a liquid acid vape pen, they don't do that. They, they Nobody would be vaping liquid acid. That's crazy, right? Nobody does <laughs> that, that means, so, yeah, somebody, man, to me, a vape is like so casual. Like, do you want to casually like vape DMT? No, that's for the fucking the 1% of the 1% who get fucked up. That's like Owsley's daughter yeah. invented the D and she's like walking around, like wearing a fucking Tom Petty top hat with like a fucking flavor flave clock around her neck, like crazy. Like would you like to partake in a little vape DMT? Like, you know, it's like, cause I'm like square fucking rectangle sunglasses on the end of her nose. Like, you know, you know, that's like, that's the place that I always imagined one day I would be someplace where someone offers me a hit of DMT through a pre-manufactured vape pen. I, I saw a thing where they were trying to find the house where Owsley manufactured all that acid, and they can't quite track it down. But they, there's a, they're pretty sure like it's one of two, one of two houses in the Bay Area. Yeah, he also manufactured a shitload of acid in uh, in Los Angeles in LA. Yeah, and he had the dead living with him, and he would only let them eat meat. <laughs> He didn't let them eat vegetables or anything besides meat. And, like, I recommend reading Owsley's book. It's called Bear. I think it's a book about him called Bear, and it's just amazing, amazing stories from back then. Um, If you have nothing to do, you should read it. It's great. Okay. Another thing about Scout that I thought was um, just amazing was how candid she was in talking about her her issues around sex and love and, and stuff like that. Yeah, that was the really, really interesting part of the interview. Well, I thought it reminded me of all of the trials and tribulations that you've gone through this year. Yeah, and you know, you said, and other people have said that to me, and I've always scoffed at that stuff. And like, I guess I have it, and, I, and I'm crazy with it. And I'm, I don't know, I just can't bear the thought of going to a sala meeting. It's pronounced it's a- slaw. Slaw. It's like you say S L A A. I think when you when you say oh. slaw sounds. I mean, as I, I work in the deli business, so when yeah. I hear slaw, I, I imagine the smell <laughs> and the white and all that shit. Slaw. But I mean, I, I have issues around it too. You know, I, I have issues around sex and love as well. And I went to it, and you know, it wasn't for me. But I find that I could deal with a lot of my sex and love issues through 12 step, you know, through AA personally. Yeah. Um, 
And is the is the format the same at those meetings? It's complicated. I, I went to two meetings, okay, and uh, and everybody was like nuts. Um, you and, told me about it, I and remember. I remember I went after a hot yoga <laughs> class, and and like maybe I was just feeling myself, but it felt like somebody, some woman was coming on to me, and sure. uh, and then like, you know, the, it's it's complicated because they're they have like it's not just you know you use or you don't use it's like you masturbate or you don't masturbate you have sex with strangers or you don't have sex with strangers you text your ex or you, there's a million yeah. components so i mean i think it's about a life unmanageable you know um and i know that in your situation that your life had become unmanageable because of this thing it's still unmanageable okay so it's you're still so break it down it's still happening well you know he, he had written to me and said i I, I would like to get together and talk, but now that we're quarantined, I can't talk. And I was like, cool. And then I knew he was leaving, going back to Dublin on the 12th. And then uh, he's been making a documentary about a 100-year-old man. And I called that man on his birthday. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's been coming over and visiting me, which is right by my house. So he's been coming from Queens on the train, walking right by my house and visiting this 100-year-old man. And that just like... When I heard that, it was like a knife through my heart. And then he wrote me this long letter yesterday, and it was like, I didn't go back. I'm staying, and but I still won't be able to see you because of the quarantine. And, and the first thing I thought was like, he's fucking that dude because they're living right near each other. But, you're, but, like, but he's not fucking the 100-year-old man. No, no. He's fucking the 30-year-old man. And then the more important but, question is, did you call the hundred year old man because you genuinely wanted to wish him no. a happy birthday? No. You piece no. of shit. I, you I user. You wanted to find out where this guy was. Yeah, that's exactly why I called. I I want to call this guy and say AA requires me to make amends and give you money for the record player that I broke. <laughs> You're just looking for any loophole to yeah, get yeah. to him. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean No, he still has power over me and, and it's so weird and, and I need help. I need to see a therapist or something. It's like, if this doesn't go away, I can't live like this. Dude, do the fucking steps. Where you told me. It's like, just do the... Listen, you're quarantined. You can't do anything. You're spinning your wheels. You're on dopey Zoom every day. You want to, you know, you want to pee out the window on some strange <laughs> man. Just like, call up your sponsor and see if he'll do the steps with you. It's something to do. Do an hour a day. Yeah. You got fucking 12 hours of awake time. Take one and work on the steps. You're going to feel better about this. Okay. Yeah, you said this yesterday. I need to talk to my sponsor. Well, it's just for for the record, I am not into peeing on people or water sports. Like that dude was really <laughs> hot and I'm like, I probably could pee on you, but it's not my thing. Do you remember? But, did you ever watch Channel 35 back in the day? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Do you, extra extra E is for extra P. 976 P E E E E. And remember, <laughs> extra E is for extra P. <laughs> oh yeah, those were the good old days. That was the best. That was, my parents were visiting. I'm like, do not go to Channel 35. And you know they did. And and for anybody who's not from New York City uh, of a certain age, Channel 35 was the great public access sex channel in New York, which was like Ron Jeremy and Robin Bird and what's-his-face. Uh, uh, who's the guy from Screw Magazine? Al Goldstein. Al Goldstein. What a guy. He was a Cats, was, Cats regular, Al Goldstein. It was very disturbing when you're clicking through the clicking through the channels and you hit 35 and it'd be like 
somebody's asshole. Yeah, those are the good old days, right? <laughs> yeah. New York was a much better place back then. Um, and then the other thing with Scout that she talked about was uh, doing work, you know, doing work on yourself. Okay. And like, yeah. and that's what we're talking about right now. And um, I'll tell you, the other day, you know, the, the quarantine has got me insane. And, uh, and in the morning I'll do work for Katz's and I'll try to prep stuff for Dopey with Sam. And, uh, but I'm, I'm busy, you know, and then at around noon I go downstairs and I help with the kids and I put the baby to bed and then I do more work while the baby naps. And then I go downstairs and help with the kids. The other day I did this and I did an interview and I thought the interview was crap and my whole brain went to shit and I went outside with the kids and Linda went shopping and Linda came home from shopping and I was furious that she had gone shopping for too long and we needed food. We needed stuff and she went out to get stuff for us and she came home and I was like in a pissy mood and like our whole night turned to hell because I was in this pissy mood and I called my sponsor and my sponsor was like, you're a, you're at first he said, you're a fucking idiot. And then he said, I love you, but like you do the bare minimum of work and you expect maximum results. You expect to be some spiritual giant and you're not putting in the work. He's like, and he, I mean like me telling you to work the steps is his, him telling me, you know, go to a meeting, you know, like, like do some step work. He, he reset me step four to do again. And I, you know, I haven't looked at it. I haven't made the time. So it's like all of these kinds of things that fuck with us. There's work that can be done. And I'm not saying 12 step work is for everyone, but I know that if I do work, I will be easier to live with. I won't go so quickly to anger. What he said specifically, specifically is that I go with fear instead of love. Like in whatever the situation, if it's because the interview is bad, I'm scared that I suck. Or if it's because Linda's out too long, it's because I'm scared that like I'm not, you know, giving the kids the right amount of time or whatever, you know, it's like, and my sponsor is a, a spiritual giant, but he goes to fucking meetings every day and he's constantly doing this work. So I think that the more work we do, uh, we would do well from it. I'm I'm surprised you have not gone to online meetings. You've been to one, I think, right? I went to two. Two. And, uh, and I spoke at one. And then the other day, a friend asked me if I wanted to do a meeting just with him. And I did. And uh, we read from the book, we read the, 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 from the appendices, like the spiritual, I don't know what it's called, either the spiritual experience or the spiritual something. And it was about, and, and, and then we talked about it. And, um, but that was the day I got into this crazy fight. So, you know no. what I mean? Like, I don't know. If it, it takes a while to grocery shop. How, you know. <laughs> exactly. It's not about that. It's just about me. Like being impatient and and yeah. like and and going to anger as my thing as opposed to like being compassionate and cool. And I heard from a dude in the Dopey Nation who like who just got clean and he's starting to use again and and he's feeling these kinds of feelings of upheaval and he's not doing any work. He doesn't have a sponsor. He's not talking to anybody. It's like the work in these situations like really helps manage the crazy. I think. Yeah. I think, and uh, and I think Scout was awesome, and 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 kind of like she was so articulate about it, you know. Yeah, yeah, she was great. And I don't want to be preachy about any of it. I just know that my life improves when I when I do what he tells me because his life is so uh, 
it seems to be like full of love and joy. And my life is very joyful and happy. And like we bounced back and we had a good day. And that was a couple of days ago and everything was good yesterday. But it's more about like the lesson. You know what I mean? It's a lesson yeah. to put in work to, to, to experience life more joyfully. And, you know, I don't want to be fucking preachy, but it's just something that I came across, especially because it's harder to get to meetings and it's harder to, for me to be connected in this thing. So it's something that I'm just trying to pass along. Um, I'm going to read another email. Okay. Yeah. This is from Jamie and Jamie actually invented the phrase, the alt recovery movement. She, um, she said, I love Dopey because you're at the vanguard of the alt-recovery movement. And little did she know, she basically invented the movement when she said that. Um, and here's her, her email. She says, hello, Dave. It's Jamie from New Hampshire. I kept thinking about posting in the Dopey Nation about my ridiculous attempt at detox. After listening to the last episode, I figured an email would be best. I had tapered down to two milligrams of Suboxone, and like your last guest, I forgot to take it often. And he's, she's talking about the last episode with Josh. And he, yeah. you know, I am finally in a place where I don't think about using. I instead use the tools I have learned, mostly identifying feelings and behaviors. I worked an aggressive program, mostly CBT, trauma therapy, so much reading and self-work and helping other addicts. Number, no 12 steps for me. That whole being medicated loophole. Now, with COVID and my progress in my program, I am down to one session a month. I worked my last bar shift on March 15th. At the time, I was expecting to have three weeks off, uh, hopefully uh, to get at kicking the subs. As junkies, we have all sweated it out countless times. How hard could kicking two milligrams be? Hard. Like trying to deep throat horse cock in prison (laughs) hard. I made it four days. Ray, can you relate to that? No. Okay. My recovery team <laughs> laughed when I told them, and as usual, I was told to slow down, that it takes time. I am now content to take it when I remember, and maybe indefinitely. It's the stigma in the recovery community that inspired me to stop. All the heroin light jokes, being told I am not clean, with no regard for the deep, dark work I have done and need to continue to do. It's shame. Why do we have shame? Why do we have to shame people who are just trying to live their best life? People have have decided to live and heal, and some of us need meds to get started. Some of us may need them for a long time. My life is far from unmanageable. I am connected. I am loved. I support and am supported. April 1st, I made it to 18 months away from dope. I never considered that a possibility. Not until I heard two junkies on a podcast saying how great life can be when you get clean. Alas, I am not clean, but I am in recovery and the shame needs to stop. Honestly, I can't imagine how my life could be any better. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Shake away the shame and toodles for Chris. It's very powerful. Yeah, that was a great email. That's something you hear in Dopey Zoom a lot is this, like, sh- stop this shame for subs. Right. I mean, what's the point? You know, the point is to try to have a nice life. But she she just writes so beautifully. You know what I mean? Like, she really yeah. lays it out there, and it's it's just amazing. Um, but I think, like, when we talked about, like, your relapse, you know what I mean? Yeah. And And you talk about how this insanity around this dude – still has you twisted. Yeah. Like, 
that's where like something should be put in place and it doesn't have to be 12 steps should be something though yeah obviously i don't know what the what the suboxone to replace the dude is maybe it's the the peeing out your window or you know (laughs) wrestling ringlets i don't know um but i don't know you know what what eased it for a while was i was seeing that new guy and that that cured it and now we can't get together because we he like his mom got corona and he was around her and now he can't come over like that's that was a real cure so what keep what's keeping you sane at this moment what what, what do you got going for you i'm doing uh, uh dopey zoom and dopey and, zoom uh, got scott wick clean right yeah yeah that's a the scott wick story is amazing there's you know there's a couple other people that came in and they don't even know there's a podcast they just thought this was like a meetup spot for people with drug problems and it is yeah but they're like there's a podcast i've never heard of it so um i'm doing that and i'm doing you know i'm doing those music i'm recording music for like the comps that my friends are putting out we just did depeche mode which i didn't think i would yeah i didn't think i would participate because i don't really like them but i did it on the dulcimer and uh it came out came out interesting. So what did song it. did you do? It's called um, "Blasphemous Rumors," and I changed the lyrics because the lyrics were stupid. So is I that, changed is the that, lyrics. Is that and then a very unnecessary? It's thing. not that one. What is it? I never realized how much I don't like Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode. <laughs> They're terrible. You know, I, I actually asked the lead. I, I had met the lead singer of Depeche Mode a couple times. Yeah, I know. And yeah. I and I asked him to come on the show, and they plugged me into his press guy. And his press guy is like, "Can we talk about it?" And I was like, "Sure." And his press guy called me up, and he said, "No, he's not coming." <laughs> on. I was like, "Why'd you call me?" But um, <laughs> anyway, so sing me a little of uh, the blasphemy song. Oh, let me see. Um. I- Let's see if I can remember it. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not going to start any blasphemous rumors, but I think God has a sixth sense of humor. When I die, he's, I'm going to find him laughing. This is the, I don't know. It's, it wow. sounds better on the recording. I'm excited to hear it. Um, so we got a new fire voicemail from Dopey Nation. Uh, storyteller extraordinaire, the great uh, Jeremy Turner from Louisiana. You want to hear it? Yes. Were you just packing a pack of cigarettes? What that was? That you're clapping? What are you doing? I was clapping for Jeremy. Yes. All right. Nice. Here's Jeremy Turner. I wasn't looking at you in that moment, and all I could hear was like a pack of Marlboros being packed. I, I think about buying cigarettes once in a while too. I have to say. Oh yeah. Yeah, but I haven't. Here's Jeremy. Hey, what's up, Dopey Nation? This is Jeremy Turner, a.k.a. Whitey Tidies. And, uh, yeah, man, I know everybody's kind of locked at home and tired of seeing their loved ones and ready to get out into the world and live their life. And hopefully we'll all get to do that soon. I'm calling from a hotel. I had to get off the boat because they had to get the whole boat tested. And, um... Luckily, I got my test results yesterday, and I am negative for COVID-19. But I do have one of those uh, typical southern sinus infections that uh, don't feel so great. But I guess it's better than not being able to breathe with the coronavirus. So, anyways, I hope everybody's doing well. And I'm going to tell a story about the time I went to Picayune, Mississippi. And uh, I had a friend, he was 
was running from the law, basically. And he had to go to Picayune, Mississippi to his uncle's house. And basically, we went there, got some money, and um, then we ended up hooking up with his cousin and went to this trailer. And let me kind of set the scene for you. Now, I had this Honda Civic, and you pretty much had to, like, push the car off and pop the clutch just to get this thing to start because all I needed was a starter, but I didn't have, you know, I was too busy doing drugs to, you know, worry about buying new starters. So... We went to this trailer. It was like a meth trailer out in the middle of nowhere, Picayune, Mississippi. The water smelled like sulfur. There were chickens in the yard and uh, yard birds, you know, they just kind of free range. They do whatever. And the roosters crow all hours of the night, no matter what time it is. I mean, they're just going, they're just cock-a-doodle-doing. So... You go into this meth trailer, and of course, there's samurai swords on the wall, and it's just a bad scene. It's just uh, definitely a weird place to be. And um, so, now that I've set the scene for you, we started talking to his cousin, and we was high as hell, and we started, uh, you know, sharing these meth recipes. And, you know, of course, he had a way he did his, and his way was the best, and I had a way I did mine, and my way was the best. So we just decided to kind of pull whatever money we had together and go to Walmart and start buying supplies. Because at the time, you could go to Walmart, and you could buy these Sudafed boxes. And if you got... Um, and if you got these certain boxes of Sudafed, you could get 2,400 milligrams, and uh, which is 2.4 grams a box. And you one person could get two boxes in one day. They would just have to go to separate Walmarts. And at the time, you could make meth in a Gatorade uh, bottle. You could the first little, the first, uh, the first part of the recipe. You know, you can mix everything in a Gatorade bottle, and you can pretty much get all the ingredients from Walmart. So we went to Walmart. We collected all these ingredients. Everybody got their two boxes, and we headed out to the you know to the wilderness. So they take me all the way down to this little creek bed down in Picayune, Mississippi. And they, uh, you know, we, we cook up a couple of batch. We cook up like one batch. And so we all got high. And, and, you know, the guy's cousin started saying, well, look, man, while you're cooking up this other batch, we can go into town and get, you know, sell what we got here. And we can come back with food provisions and more supplies and we can just kind of keep this thing rolling so I was fine with that I said sure you can go ahead and use my car so I let him use my car and they ended up not coming back for like two days so it's just me a clandestine meth lab and a couple hypodermic needles and a creek and the mosquitoes right so I'm out there for two days just cooking dope getting high and you know tripping out wondering where the fuck they are so finally about two days later they show up they don't have they don't have any money they don't have hardly any gas in the car and of course they give me some bullshit story on how they got jacked you know they got ripped off they gave somebody the dope and whatever whatever bullshit story they had Excuse me. So we ended up going back to this trailer. All right. And then, the, you know, the head, the, the main guy, the guy's cousin that I brought down there, he said, look, 
my girl's got these volumes. Oh no, Xanax. We're going to take these Xanax. Everybody's going to sleep it off tonight. And we're going to, you know, regroup in the morning, get some more supplies, and we'll just do what we, what, you know, what we started. We're going to finish what we started. So that's fine. So he passed these Xanax out, and I put mine in my lip. And then I went in the bathroom afterwards and spit it out and waited till everybody went to sleep. Well, I had done decided, because, see, I still had dope in my pocket, but I didn't tell them that. And I had no gas in my car, and I just wanted to get the fuck out of there. So I had called a friend to wire me some money to Walmart. But before I left, I just decided I was going to take everything from them I could. So when they went to sleep, I went outside and looked through the window and made sure everybody was sleeping. And the guy and his cousin, they were sleeping on the floor in one of the rooms, and they had a shotgun in between them. And I thought, well, they probably got money or dope or something. So... I kind of snuck in their room, was stepping over their bodies, looking, you know, looking in their clothes. Looking, I was checking their pockets while they were sleeping. I didn't give a shit. So they really didn't have nothing. So I went in the kitchen and was taking, I was taking canned goods out the damn cabinets. I was taking food out of the refrigerator. And uh, one of them had a guitar and an amp. I took it, of course. And, uh, you know, I had to go outside and pop the clutch on my car and have it running. And then I remembered that this girl, she had a, she had a bottle of Xanax, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna get them Xanax, this is mine, right? So I kind of jimmied her door open. I walked in the room, and then I grabbed the bottle that was sitting right there on the table next to her, and I shook it just to see how many was in there, just to see what she was working with. And when I, you know, I shook it, and her eyes opened and looked dead at me. So I'm like, fuck, man, here we go. I take off down the hall, and as I get to the end of the, uh, you know, the end of the hallway, there's the front door. I grab this power strip. Now this is back in the day when I, everybody had those Nokia phones, and uh, everybody had their phone plugged into this little power strip. And when I grabbed the power strip, there was like four Nokias came with me, and so I just ran to my car with the Xanax and all the Nokias. And got in my car and took off. And then I was off to the races. And I ended up going to rehab a couple weeks later. You know, it was a really bad time. But that's my, my picking you Mississippi story. And, uh, yeah, another story that kind of makes me look like a klepto, which I kind of was back then. So, um, anyways, I kind of told that in light of uh, somebody's post. Somebody posted on Dopey Nation, you know, what's the what's the worst thing you stole or something like that and man there's so many times i can't i can't even tell you what's back in the day when i was using i would steal anything so uh glad i'm not like that anymore and i hope everybody's doing good during covid y'all take care of yourselves and um stay strong dopey nation toodles for chris jeremy turner at it again wow jeremy that was hardcore I, I love uh, Jeremy's email voicemails are always great. I'm just going to steal everything in this house while these people are asleep. Yes, including their including their phones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, and they have a wait. Did he steal the shotgun? I think so. I think he took everything. But he's like, he's That's like, hardcore. he's like, I see a guitar and an amp. You know, I'm going to take that. <laughs> <laughs> I used to steal. Like I didn't. I, I would only steal pills. 
if I, if I, you know, I wouldn't just go fucking brazen like that. I would steal brazenly from the stores in the neighborhood, you know, but I wouldn't go brazen in somebody's house. But that's a, a lot of crazy stuff in that story. Yeah. That's, see those horns? See those horns behind me? Yes. I stole those. From where? <laughs> from work. <laughs> and, um, you know, the other thing is the, is the mixture of meth and samurai swords is always a good mixture yes. in these stories. <laughs> There's somebody on Dopey Zoom that his job takes him into people's houses, and he would just open the medicine cabinet up at every house he was in. And he got busted, too. That's the worst. See, it, I mean, it is a much... I mean, I'm also fearful that somebody... You know, that in, I live close to the train that somebody's going to show up in our house and start taking stuff, you know, like in the pandemic. It's like a weird thing. It's like it's so easy to steal, but then somebody steals from you and you're like, holy shit, I can't believe blah, blah, blah. You know, um, but it is a joy to not be stealing stuff like Jeremy said. And his fucking voicemail is uh, is the real the real thing. So thank you, Jeremy, for sending it in. Everybody else. Use Jeremy as your model and send in dopey stories like that. Uh, just record it on your phone and send it to uh, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Now, before we, we get wrapping it up, uh, I, wanna, I wanted Ray to read this email we got from a very, very, very long-time listener, very special listener from our dopey uh, nation Australia crew. She's been on the show a bunch of times. Uh, it's Gabby. And she wrote a very heartfelt email, and I think you should read it, Ray. Good day, Dave. I thought I'd drop a line in because it's been a while, and also to say thanks for checking in on me on the last couple weeks. It's like us addicts have telepathy. What are the odds of you messaging me right in the middle of my month-long relapse after almost 15 months up clean in the program? I chose to take it as a sign, just like how Chris's death set me on a trajectory towards getting clean for the first time. Anyway, I'm at my mother's house on the Sunshine Coast, two days off heroin again. I can't believe I'm saying that. I've strung enough days together that I was sick last night, but my detox isn't that bad because I wasn't full-blown, but I tell you, it was, I was heading that way. I flicked the switch for sure. I have a deep appreciation for how cunning the disease is. There's no big story, no incident that happened. If anything, I know that it's just because my life was really good because of all the work is all the work is put into my recovery and I was greedy and thought I had it in the bag. I just started a great new job, but was unable to get to meetings every day like I'd been doing for the past 15 months and was barely making one a week. I thought I could start dating someone not in the program who was on Suboxone, but turned out to be really using. Basically, I separated from the pack and just thought I could manage it. Fuck, I was wrong. After four weeks, I was sitting in a car park of cash converters, Australia's middle cl- middleman pawnbroker chain, uh, where they might just hand over your dope for your goods. Waiting to hawk my computer, and there was a knock at my window. It was one of the, my mates from NA who had had a small relapse and was back and clean and picking up an item uh, out of hawk from his last run. I wasn't even embarrassed to see him. I was grateful, grateful of everyone that it was him, and he told me, to use if I was going to that day, but to get out of Brisbane and to my mom's house and give her my car keys so that I got my last shot and that's what I'm doing. When I was driving up here, I listened to an episode with Andy Roy. I strayed from Dopey in the past six months or so, not sure why, life and being busy and focusing on the solution. Don't get me wrong, I love Dopey's fucked up stories, 
but it makes me think of mine. And for the last year, I've kind of needed to distance myself from that. I'm so glad I listened to him and how he spoke about coming back after a relapse, something I told myself wouldn't be part of my story and I'm struggling to reconcile with now. I just wanted to send my love and gratitude to Dopey, which has been a big part of my recovery on and off over the last couple of years. One thing that always sticks with me uh, was that in one episode after Todd died, you were lamenting how sad you were that he never got to feel free. I felt that freedom now after getting some time up for the first time and knowing what it feels like is amazing and it's all I want back. Also, I can just say that trying to use and score during the global pandemic is fucked. I don't know how anyone is going to be able to use after a while. There's no gear coming in and everyone's paranoid as shit and cutting shit way down. I've also got to pretend to be going out for a quote-unquote essentials, and it's hard to convince a cop that heroin isn't essential. All right. Big love to you and the Dopey Nation. Gabby, you're Australian, ride or die. There you go. Fucking Gabby. Beautiful email. That was great. And, um, yeah. you know, we're always wishing Gabby well. And, um, yeah, I knew when she said straight from the pack that she had heard Andy Roy say straight from the pack. Um but that's the thing. I mean, it's like Dopey was never meant to save anybody or anything like that or even to say go to meetings. But it's like if you're struggling, this stuff helps, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I would be remiss not to say that, you know, with Todd and with Chris dying. So do you want to hear, do you want to hear the, one, the weird kids book that I'm reading to my little baby and how weird it is? I think you'd appreciate it. It's, yeah, what is it? It's this, uh, it's this book about this teeny woman, right, who goes yeah. for a walk, and for some reason she walks to a cemetery, and in the cemetery she finds a bone sitting on a grave. <laughs> she, <laughs> kids, kids' books have gotten much hipper than when I was a kid. It has to be an old book, though. She takes the bone, and she says, I'm going to make soup with this bone that I found in a graveyard, okay? And she she comes home with the bone, and um, she puts it in the kitchen, and she goes to bed. And the ghost comes into her house and says, give me my bone. And he says it over and over, and she, she gets scared, and she gives the ghost back the bone and my two-year-old lives for this story (laughs) and i say give me mine she goes bone um but isn't that fucking weird like why would a woman go to find a bone in a cemetery to make soup a human bone Uh, you would assume it it's sitting on top of a grave it's weird right it's a weird story yeah for kids and then the other thing is like yeah we've been all mental here and linda went out and bought a puzzle and, um, you know, I was just like, and my dad's been doing puzzles and I was just like, you know, what the fuck? Um, I'm going to, and, and as soon as she laid the pieces on the table, my brain like felt better. And, uh, and Linda and Nora were like, we don't want to do the puzzle. And I found myself sitting at the table with this puzzle, trying to put it together. And every time, and it was a, th- it was a 300 piece puzzle. It was like puppies, kittens, and candy. And every time I connected a piece, I was like, oh, my God, my life has meaning. And my brain, I could feel like synapses connecting in my brain. And as I'm doing the, the outline, the edge of the puzzle, I'm feeling like this feeling. And it really reminded me of, uh, of recovery. Like it reminded me of like how in the beginning you're all a mess and you're just finding, trying to find that outside edge or you're trying to put a couple things together. And, um, 
and then when when you're finally done you see what you're supposed to see you know you see the picture as opposed to these little like you know messed up total pieces or then even the beginning of it where you find groups of pieces and you see some patterns in your life do you think this is a profound story or you think this is malarkey yeah that's profound i was i was skeptical at first but that's (laughs) that's amazing that's great analogy or Whatever, Whatever it is. I recommend a puzzle. My dad's puzzle has restored him to sanity. And, uh, and, and I, I also called Nora at the end of the puzzle because she got, she got so frustrated with it. But I let her finish it, and she felt like she had done the whole thing. And I don't know if that's good parenting or not. Maybe I should get a puzzle. Get a puzzle. I recommend I 500 saw, pieces or less. A friend of mine was putting together a puzzle that was just black. It was just a black puzzle. Oh, yeah, that, That's not going to be satisfying. That's gonna, that's gonna be very unsatisfying. Get a puzzle. Um, get a puzzle. You know, maybe like something with music or a beautiful landscape or something. Get a puzzle and and do some fucking step work. You know. And I'm sorry. I'm, okay. I'm preaching twelve step. Um, was there anything left on my list, or is that it? Uh, Alan. Yeah, just my dad. So that yeah. means you're a beautiful man, Ray Brown. Oh, I said your name. Is that bad? Is that bad? That's all right. All right. Yeah, you're public. Um, the other funny thing is how you were so scared of your of your husband finding out about you doing it, and yet you're like the most public person on the Dopey Nation. Can you explain this duality of existence? Well, he's not going to hear. He's not going to look look at Dopey Nation, and he's not going to. I I don't want him to hear the podcast because that will affect my uh the way i talk on it and uh no we don't want him so if you know if you know ray's significant other do not mention (laughs) anything about ray no nothing about toilet paper about licking urine off a toilet bowl or eating pubic hair or washing clothes while you're in them none of those things i I get enough shit every time i put a song out he's like oh i heard your new song it dissects everything if i ever say like i had a dream he just dissects everything and i just don't want to deal with him like listening and and commenting on what i said well i have to say ray you're looking very well in this pandemic you look very are you you look very dapper and um and it's always a pleasure it's always a pleasure to have you on and to be in touch and thank you okay Bye, Dave. You can say bye to the Dopey Nation. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Right on. All right, right, thanks. Peace out. And one last thing. Ray wrote this uh, amazing quarantine anthem to his love addiction. <laughs> and I was, I was on the Dopey Zoom chat room, and I said, hey, guys, I just wrote a song and made a demo of it. And uh, Colleen and Ben were like, we want to hear it. And I was like, well, you'll hear it soon. Well, you're going to hear it. Yeah, we're, we're going to play it at the end of the show, and uh, so look for it. What's it called again? Uh, I don't know. It's called I'm Always Inside of You. Oh, it's called, no, it's called, yeah, I Will Always Be Inside of You. Yes, I Will Always Be Inside of You. Thank on you, Ray. On your lips and on your tongue. You're yeah. welcome. Your, Bye, your, your urine will always be on my lips, and your pubic <laughs> hair will always be on my tongue. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. Bye. Bye. See you later. Later. Hello? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. All right, so welcome. We got my dad back on the show. Welcome back, Alan. How are you? Welcome back, Dad. How are you? I'm okay. You got me running around here. I'm trying to turn on the computer. I thought you said you were writing emails. 
I that was uh, ten minutes ago. Then uh, then you just called, and now you're telling me to get on the computer. So that's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to do, everybody. Well, more importantly, how is the precious brain of of you uh, functioning during week five of the uh, COVID pandemic? Uh, I'm showing a little signs of stress. Atrophy. What? How how has the atrophy been? Uh, what's the evidence of the stress? Uh, it turns it turns out that uh, the thing that list that I was making it's getting harder to to keep up with it. So that's that's the problem. Actually, though, I'm really very proud of myself. I'm doing I'm doing a good job of staying sane. Very good job, actually. Well, yeah. I mean, I, f- I feel like you're in a renaissance of your whole life. Every time I check in, you're wearing clean clothes. You look good. Uh, I mean, not that you didn't wear clean clothes and look good before, but you're alone. So you're keeping up with that. You're baking. You're cooking. Uh, have you been going out? Yeah. The only two dangerous things that I've been doing is leaving the house and cooking. Uh, those are the only two dangerous things. The, uh, the cooking uh, last night, I don't know what that guy did, but uh, I wasn't feeling so great after I ate. But I feel great now. I feel fine. You're taking the um, elevator? Uh, yeah, I took the elevator. Yesterday, two people tried to get on, and I got off, and I had to walk down 10 flights yesterday. So that was hard. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm really doing very, very well. Um, and, uh, I don't like your attitude, you know, thinking that uh, my brain is gone. I mean, where did you get that from? I'm um, just a healthy concern I have for your brain. Now, oh. listen, 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 all jokes aside, yeah. I'm going to read you an email I just got. Okay. You listening? Um, yeah, I'm listening. All right. This is not a joke. Um, okay. seriously. Hi, Dave. Alan from Ireland here. It's a guy, an Irish fan of the show named Alan. It's normally a habit that is never broken, waking up uh, Saturday morning and sticking on the latest dopey. But the past weekend was very difficult because last Friday, my dad and I got a call from my mother's nursing home that she had fallen unconscious and was in a very serious condition. So obviously we dashed to be by her side. Four hours later, me and my dad in full protective suit, gloves and mask watched her having never regained consciousness, take her last breath and pass away in her room. Now, my mom was 80 and very fragile, having battled Parkinson's for 25 years, but it was no surprise to learn she tested positive for COVID-19. The reason I'm emailing you a message is for your dad, Alan, and everyone in the Dopey Nation not to be in any way nonchalant about this vicious virus, because if you're older or in any way vulnerable, this thing could very well probably kill you. I listened to the last Dopey episode, which was great, and I got the impression that your dad might be getting a little bit complacent. So this is a message to your dad from one Alan to another. No matter how fit or young at heart you may feel, do not let your guard down, not once. Be careful leaving your apartment and super careful to clean everything once you get back in. Glasses, phone, keys, soles of shoes, etc. The Dopey Nation all got a real shock that Dave and Linda tested positive. We don't need any more frights on the show, please, Alan. I listened to the first Patreon episode and a randomly picked old episode, which turned out to be the baby back ribs one. Made me proper laugh and helped a lot. Thanks, Dave. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and wash your fucking hands. Toodles, Alan. So... Uh, it's very sad. Uh, Alan, we send you our love and our condolences. And um, 
Nat, no matter how fit or young at heart you may feel, do not let your guard down. No, I listen. I I really appreciate that, and uh, and and I I do know how serious it is. I I, I do know that, and uh, his story. Uh, did you did you hear part of that story that brought back a little bit of memories to you in that story? Well, Dad, what spell it out here? Um, your mother uh, in a coma, dying. You you were there too. Remember yeah. that. That, that was also part part of this thing. Anyway, listen. I'm very very aware of of uh, how horrible this disease is, but I do need to get out, and I really am very careful. Uh, I do wash my hands uh, very well, and I am very careful of not. Tr- being next to somebody, and uh, and I have my mask on all the time, and I'm I'm very happy that people are concerned and 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 be concerned for your own you know your own health and safety. Yeah, this is not good. I understand that, and I'm not being complacent. I just trying to. So you're have taking this, this you're taking this incredibly concerned and lovely message as an attack on the way you're taking care of yourself. No, I'm not. No, I'm. I'm. I'm very. I'm. Alan, is he from Ireland? Is that what? Yes, Irish Alan. I. It's wonderful. I mean, I think it's very, very sweet and very, very kind of him, and it's good advice. I. I think it's great advice. Uh, but I would like to be able to get out of the house, and uh, uh, I think you should. You should take the stairs, and then you can be doing crazy exercise at the same time. Just go slow and use something on the banister. You'd be so proud of yourself if you walked twenty-one flights up and down. I know, but what if there's somebody on the staircase? Then, or, or, then what if, I mean, or what if? Or what if? Or or what if your I'm, heart your heart if, can't if, take if, the steps? Yeah, I'm sorry. What if your heart can't take the steps, and you get to the top, and you and you die tragically of a heart attack at the top of the steps? That wouldn't be, that, that wouldn't be good either. I, I'm listen. I'm going to go into the elevator, and if anybody tries to get on, I'll tell them no, don't come on. And if they insist, I get off. That's how I deal with it. Oh, you say no. What do they say when you say no? Well, some of them don't have a clue. It actually happened that one, two people actually were. They said sure, no problem, because we just got a message that there should only be one one person in the elevator. That's been written, on, you know, outside and and sent that email to all of the people in in the development that one person should be in the elevator. And uh, you know, not that everybody listens to, to what people are suggesting. So I don't want to be in the elevator with more than one person. So I get off if if there's a problem. Well, you should take the stairs down. It'll be quicker anyway. It's going to ruin my knees. What are you talking about? It's 21 flights. Right. All right. All right. All right. Um, what else is going on with you? Are you saying the puzzle's good? I was just, I was just telling Ray how uh, we did a puzzle, and I found it was a, an incredible metaphor for you know, putting your life back together. What do you think about that? Yeah, it, it, well, it it turns out it turns out that I've been getting you know messages from people who are doing doing the puzzles. Uh, the you know uh, Pamela who got me involved with it and uh, and. Uh, and, and Carol and and they love to do the puzzles, but they're getting a little tired tired of, of doing it. Anyway, the secret is, is is to walk away when it gets frustrating, and then come back the next day. Um, but it feels good when you put a piece in that fits. It's That's incredibly the- satisfying. I totally yeah. agree. Now I like to have you on the show um, to read reviews. So yeah. and I and I I mean the last review review is not positive. I read it on the. Uh, 
on the Patreon, the mini Patreon episode, which you you think the mini Patreon episodes are good, but I realize in the last mini Patreon episode, I say nice things about you. And you're very swayed when I say nice things about you on an episode. Yeah, it's it's kind of unusual. Yeah, and uh, it'll it'll ruin ruin your reputation if you say nice things. I know that. Well, yeah. I'll tell you something. We miss you very much. We hate that uh, you can't come out. You know, you know what happened the other day is um, mm-hmm. I came home. I think I I took a walk with the baby or something, and I came home, and there was a plastic bag on our porch with um, yeah. with quart containers of chicken soup. And uh, and a quart container of matzo balls, and I I was sure that you had driven out and dropped it on our porch, but it turned out it was from our neighbors who are Jewish, but they use exactly the same containers that we would use. So it was pretty pretty amazing, and it looked like yeah, your no, soup. I may have, I really may have to drive out there because the uh, registration I got the New York State sent me the registration for the car. And you got to put it on the windshield, I think, by May something, May 1st or May 3rd. Well, you could just 3rd. send the thing out here, you know? I, I don't trust the mail. I mean, it's not – and this is a, this is the real registration stuff that was mailed to me. I would just drop it off, you know, on the porch, et cetera, well, and wait for everybody. But I, we'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe in May things will be better. Who knows? You know, this is the classic stuff that does not need to be on the show, just so you know. Um, oh, I, thought that, I thought it would be good for stuff. No, I think they'll like it. Um, so why don't you read uh, the last two, uh, whatchamacallits, reviews. And also, Dopey Nation, take a minute if you have time in your fucking quarantine and write a review and post it on iTunes and, and try to not post one-star reviews because they hurt my feelings. All right, read it, Dad. You want me to read that one-star one? Yeah, definitely. All right, so this is this is the uh, interrupting host by RPEZ3115. Okay, this is the review. I would have loved to listen to the one man tell his story, but his co-host would not stop interrupting him. So annoying, annoying enough that I had to stop listening. So what do you think, David, about this guy? I think it was pro- he probably listened to one of the very early episodes and he wanted to hear Chris finish his story. Exactly. Exactly, because everybody was criticizing you for you interrupting so much. But then, of course, you know you got you got uh, less less interruptible. I, I stand by my interruptions. I stand by that, that Dopey would have sucked if I hadn't interrupted Chris. Maybe I interrupted a little too much, but it would not have been good uh, if I hadn't interrupted him. All right, read the what next you, one. I, I don't. What do you? What? What? What's your opinion? No, no, no. My, my opinion is, is that it uh, it, re- it required good criticism from the dopey nation to tell you to shut up once in a while, and then then you listened after a while. I think it was good, I, and I agree with you that sometimes you interrupted absolutely correctly. Um, so that's okay. Anyway, what do you want me to? I'm read sure you wish question? I. I'm sure you wish I interrupted some people much more than I do. Um, uh, some of them you should tell them to stop. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. Next. Next. Next review, Dad. Is the one best best podcast ever? Is that the one? Yeah, but it's still a very early listening person, so read it, though. All right, by Liz K-R-Y-S. I'm only on episode 40-ish now, but I listen to you guys all the time at work, in the car, when my kids aren't around. I love being able to laugh out loud to the antics that you guys have been through. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's sad to read those. I get the impression that he or she has not learned of 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 of, of, of poor Chris and uh, and the demise. So did, I, you get the feeling that she doesn't know that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's really like a, it's like getting a message in a bottle, you know, without yeah. knowing where the message came from. If you listen to Dopey before Chris died, um, yeah. which is very sad, but. Um, you sound good. I'm glad your brain is still functioning, although I'm sure atrophy is is coming. I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing the jigsaw puzzle. You should start baking chocolate chip cookies and putting them in the mail. Oh, I made pancakes this morning, and boy, that may have been a disaster. Yeah, don't put don't put the pancakes in the mail. No. no. Wait a minute. You want me to put what in the mail? Make chocolate chip cookies and send them out, and we'll review them for the show. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do anything. Don't do anything. Don't do anything. Um, thank you for coming on. Obviously, uh, we miss you, and I love you, and I'm glad you're okay. And I'll I'll have you video with uh, the girls in a minute. All right, wonderful. All right, and uh, everybody out there, please uh, stay healthy. And I am listening to advice, and I'm I'm being as careful as I can be. Yeah, and, and we, we, we and we express our deepest uh, condolences condolences to Alan and his family. Absolutely, yes. Yes, indeed. All right, Davey. All right, wait. Before we go, um, we're going to play this song of Ray's now called uh, I Will Always Be Inside of You. And uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Yes. That's what you say? Yes, all right. All right, bye-bye. Say goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you. I love you. Bye-bye. I love you, too. Remember when you lied? You said you'd like to get together, but you can't because you're quarantined. With your new flatmates, hunkered down shouting from the rooftops, making homemade masks out there in Queens. But every day, you were taking the train. Walking right by my house Do you know how much pain I will always Be inside of you I'll be on your lips On your tongue Yeah, I will always I will always like love but I will take you down one day and I will always be inside of you I'll be on your lips on your tongue I will always I will always of you No one has 
ever hurt me like you've done No one's ever made me want to hurt myself You're the only one And I will never I will never I will never Forgive you And I will always Be inside of you What's up, Dave and Chris? My name's Jake. I'm 25 years old from West Virginia. I just found Dopey about two weeks ago, and it's my favorite podcast of all time. Y'all are hilarious, and it's just gotten me through some really hard times. And though I'm not clean myself, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, I really like Dave's song, and I'm going to do a little cover of it here on my banjo. Hope y'all don't mind too much. I wrote a uh, third verse myself. Sorry about the poor quality. It's just on my phone. And, uh, sorry about the banjo. This thing's hard to keep in tune. y'all hear this makes it through the uh, big inbox emails feel free to play a clip on the show if you want I, if not I know it kind of sucks 
All right. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all.